Welcome to episode 162 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined from Washington by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen in Montreal. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Bonjour. Oh, Bonjour from Montreal. Look at you embracing the French now that you're not in France. I know. It's something I, I find it so much more charming, the French in, in Montreal. Uh, I don't know why. I, it's, it's an utterly charming city. I love it. So, so far, so good. Tremendous. And we are joined by a third person something of NCR First. This is our first of our episodes with our Kickstarter uh, guest producer slash director slash host in this situation. We're joined by Ashish Malhotra. Nice to have you with us, Ashish. Hi, Ben. Hi, Courtney. Thanks Let's, for having me. Just introduce yourself a little bit. Give us some background on why you love tennis and, and what you're doing. And you're moving from D.C. to India in a week, so we won't keep you too long in this introduction, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a bit of a crazy time right now. But yeah, I'm Ashish Malhotra. Um, I have sort of grown up all over the world, Australia, Thailand, the U.S. Um, then I lived in Singapore for a while. My parents were in Malaysia. Now they're in Turkey, so all over the place. And then I'm Indian, as you meant. Well, you mentioned I'm moving to India because I'm Indian, but I've never actually lived there before. Um, and so I think the reason I love tennis is precisely because of that background. You know, it's one of the most international sports. So wherever I've gone, you know, it's always been a constant. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and then I'm a journalist. Um, I've been here in DC with Al Jazeera for the last four years, and now I'm moving to India to be with the Hindustan Times. So I have covered tennis from time to time, and I always try and push it when I can. Um, but this is this is a bit of a first doing a, a tennis specific podcast with you guys. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, we are delighted to have you as well. And you talked about, you know, some commonality and things being a constant worldwide. One thing is a constant worldwide for the last uh, 16, 17 years is that people really like Roger Federer and like watching him play tennis. And that won't be the case. Well, I mean, people will still like it, but they don't have the chance <laughs> uh, for the rest of this year. Roger Federer pulling out of the rest of the season he announced this week with uh, ongoing knee issues saying that I guess he, th he thought he came back too quickly from the torn meniscus that he had in February uh, they had operated on and played some through sporadically through the clay played uh, three grass court tournaments made semifinals of Wimbledon but took that awkward fall in the fifth set against Ronich and said afterwards he didn't know how bad that might have been uh, Courtney, I guess your, your thoughts when you heard heard the news. I think it was, I didn't see the timing coming per se, but I don't think the actual severity of the injury at his age can be too shocking. No, the severity of injury, not as much of a surprise, I guess. I, I For me, I guess what was shocking, and I, I was surprised, was just that he called it on the whole season. That, that it wasn't just, I'm not going to play, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in Rio, or, you know, I'm not going to play the U.S. Open you know, none of these things, but just like I'm shutting it down and I'm not going to you're not going to see me again uh, on the court until 2017 at the earliest. I think that was more the surprise just for me. I wasn't really expecting that at all. Um, so, you know, it's definitely obviously unfortunate um, on, on many, many different levels. I mean, Roger is Roger. I mean, he is, you know, there are a handful of players who are bigger than the sport and Roger Federer is one of them. And so he's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, if you if you talked about the, the on the men's and women's side. So, you know, 
that is definitely disappointing. Um, it will obviously have a, a big impact, I think, going forward, uh, just on the tours, on the tournaments, um, you know, just the whole kind of business side of tennis, everything right down to, you know, journalists and fans and things like that. But, um, you know, at the same time, it, it was encouraging to hear some of the things that he was saying in his his, uh, his statement that he wants to play for many more years and, you know, uh, he wants to get back to playing attacking tennis, you know, all that good stuff. Time will tell. Uh, these injuries, especially when you get older, are are way more complicated than they are if this were to happen, you know, a decade ago. It was a huge, huge bummer, obviously. Uh, when I first saw the notification, I just saw that he was out of Rio, which, you know, I thought, okay, not that surprising, like you said, Ben. Um, but then I, you know, I read the next article and I realized it was the whole season. So, so yeah, it is it is a huge loss. But like you said, Courtney, you know, the, the one positive out of it was that he, he spoke about doing this so that he can get his body right to play for many more years. And I think that's encouraging to a lot of fans who, who want to see him play for a few more years. And, and hopefully he can use the rest of this year to recuperate properly. I was encouraged, just not, not on the, not I guess encouraged, but I was heartened on the Federer longevity front even earlier last week, the week before, I forget, when he was announced as being in Hotman Cup. Uh, with Benchic, um, which at least if, you, if you're making 2017 plans, you know, it shows that you're not planning on hanging it up this year, which was always an outside possibility. Like we talked about last week with the Rio Olympics coming, they were such a, they were a clear end date or a, or a finish line to cross potentially for a lot of players. And so even that he was lining that up, even though he had said, you know, at Wimbledon, I hope to be back next year or whatever, seeing him make concrete plans for 2017, I think does make a difference. And I, I will pay attention for sure to which players are and aren't doing that as the season wears on. Anybody who's staying quiet for 2017 might be more likely to to pull out. And that's just that's just standard operating procedure. Um, but I do think that it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Federer's had a bizarre year because on the one hand, it's been like his worst ever. And on the other, he's made two slam semis. <laughs> Like, he's barely played, and when he has played, for the most part, he's been either awful, like he was in Rome, where he was just, like, clearly couldn't play because he was hurt, or he was pretty much not that far off his best. I mean, in the uh, Brisbane final, uh, Australia semis, then Wimbledon semi, after making semis previously in both Stuttgart and Halle. So, I mean, he, he was a, an odd sort of wild card factor, and I think he'll be able to fulfill maybe a more Sampras-type role as his ranking drops. He will be out of the top ten clearly by a fair amount after he comes back from this injury no matter what he does uh he was actually in pretty dodgy position for london anyway this year he was in 10th i think in the race uh, so maybe i don't know if that was part of his consideration that he wanted to not play on somewhat and then miss qualifying for london i don't know if that was something that just didn't appeal to him uh yeah he, he's uh, had an odd year i'm not sure how much hope there can be for the future with his age getting on in terms of just because of how physically demanding it is to win a grand slam on the men's side right now um, but he's he's shown flashes of being not bad. I mean, he really he was up two sets to one in that Wimbledon semi. He could have easily won that semi, and then who knows? He <laughs> hasn't lost to Andy Murray in years. Yeah. So he could have won Wimbledon. Yeah, it's, it's going to be strange. It's amazing how things can can flip that quickly. It's going to be strange, obviously, next year to see double digits next to his name in the rankings. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's also kind of sad, you know, like you said, Rio 2016 was something he had sort of outlined a while ago that he wanted to play at. Um, and until the beginning of this year, it didn't seem like there was going to be any problem with that. Um, so so that's unfortunate. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, I guess, going into next year. Yeah, I mean, I think with Roger, you know, if you take him at his word and I do believe him when he says, you know, he plays for the love of the love of the game that, 
you know, it's not just about winning grand slams that everybody makes a big deal when he loses and it's not, he doesn't need the money. Right, He doesn't yeah. need the money, all these sorts of things, but there is, and he is always going to be, you know, this universally pretty much. Uh, I understand there are pockets of people who do not like Roger. I acknowledge your presence. I see you, but niche, uh, niche, pockets. <laughs> niche, but important pockets. Like 40 dudes. Uh, <laughs> cowbell. Yeah. The cow, the cowbell crew. Um, but no, I mean, I think that, that, the adulation is universal and it will always be universal. And to that extent, you know, when he does come back, if he does come back, you know, he will still enjoy playing. You know what I mean? Like he will enjoy walking out to packed out crowds. He's still going to get, regardless of his ranking, top-notch court placement. Um, you know, and then from there, it's just a matter of winning the matches. But as you said, Ben, I mean, even in an off year, he has for the most part proven that when he's there, he still takes care of business. He still beats, for the most part, the players he's supposed to beat. Now, that group of players is going to expand over the course of six, or I'm sorry, uh, players he's supposed to beat contract, uh, you know, over the yeah. course of the next like six to seven months, because you are already seeing on the ATP side, you know, the rise of the next gen players um you know the quality is getting deeper and deeper the gap is closing maybe not to novak but with respect to the gap between the big four as a whole and the rest of the field that that gap does seem to be starting to shrink um and there it does seem to be more depth so you know does roger come back to a tour that is far more competitive than it is even right now where you would argue that the comp the competitive landscape is, sh is shifting um, that's a big question. And then it gets into questions of whether or not, you know, is it then fun for Roger to travel around the world and lose in the third and fourth rounds? I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't think I, I don't think Roger knows either. Um, but, you know, like John Wertheim always says, you know, uh, father time is undefeated. Mm -hmm. That's the one, you know, and, and so even though Roger is Roger and he's a special talent and um, we know what he can do even at his age now uh, on one leg, basically, and no back. Um, you know, making Grand Slam semis, um, you know, how does that body hold up in six months? And as time ticks on that, that's the big question. Can I go hot takey for a second here? Ooh, fire, I, fire. Did the big four die this week? Is this the end? Ooh. Is it over? Because we have Nadal who's practicing and hearing mixed things out of Mallorca. He's, there's some videos of him training with Murray. Um, so he is training for the Olympics, but we don't know how he's been. His stock has just been so, you know, relatively diminished by his injury here, a new wrist injury, which seems like something you don't want to mess with. Federer is down for the count, more or less, for the rest of the year, and we'll be out of the top 10. Um, yeah, it, is, is, it, is, it, is it over? Is, is it as a relevant way to look at the sport and the gatekeepers of the sport have two of the guys just simply clocked out? Ashish, you go not, first. Yeah, not to get too existential, but I think it depends on how you define death. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, Federer and Nadal have not played their last matches, I don't think. I think they'll both sort of contend for majors. Whether they'll win them is okay. another question. But I think in some ways, at the same time, you could say that it already died earlier this year. Um, when Federer missed his first slam in how many years, and Nadal's been out. And well, neither of them made the third round of the first Right, and so now. it really sort of has solidified in the last couple of months to being more of a big two, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see it a little bit differently because it, you know, kind of going off of what Ashish uh, said there, I, it depends on how you, what you think the big four is. Right. Okay, so it, it's not about, to me, the big four has never been just about, like, you know, the, these four players and they're competing all the time at the same time, you know, for the biggest titles. 
and dominating the tour as a collective group of four, and it was just about the tennis. The big four to me are the four players who drive this sport, that drive the narratives of this sport, that drive uh, the business side of this sport, um, that have separated themselves, not just via tennis terms, but in all, all metrics from the rest of the field. And in that way, that's why I don't think the big four has died. Yeah. I still think that, that, that those four names are still the names that, that matter in tennis, that the, that the players behind them have yet to close that gap at all. Um, yeah, totally. That's not even close. Yeah, that... um, and, and, and then the four within the last, you know, it's not just this year. It's been the last, you know, four or five years. It, it's always been a constant rotation. And generally speaking, there has always been a big two, even though there was a big four. There's always been, because some of them slumped or some of them have injuries or like, you know, Andy has back surgery. Novak was still whatever, trying to find his way. Rafa at times injured, not injured. Fed yeah. slumping, not slumping. They haven't really all been the big four for a while. That's true. Yeah. I, I guess in 2012, each of them won one slam. But other than that, it's been pretty much, yeah, they've taken turns kicking each other's asses. But, exactly. there, but, there, but there have been times at the same time when they were all able to be penned in to make the slam semis, it felt like. And that was pretty reliable. But yeah, I mean, it certainly has opened up with Varenka winning two slams in the last couple years uh, since 2014. Uh, yeah. So two in that pretty short window. Uh, he's been in the conversation more uh, but he's also unreliable. You know, Nadal's had some losses, odd places that he's not used to. So yeah, I mean, it's fading out. I because think it's fair the, to say. But I just, I just don't, because yeah. the thing is, I would also, I would also say is just like because if you look at the Australian Open, three of the four made the semis, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. So you look at Wimbledon. Okay, nobody saw Sam Querrey coming, but honestly, that should have been three of the four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If 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 Fed get Fed makes the semis, Andy and then and Novak. Um, it's not completely out of the, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying trend wise, it's not like only one of them is making it or only two of them is making it consistently. I don't know. I still, I still believe in the big four. I believe in you, big four, you underdogs. No, no, no. one last thing I want to add on that is, yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning of my answer, it depends on how you define it. So I gave one answer if you define it one way, but if you define it another way, which I totally um, sort of buy into what you said about it's it's about more than them just, you know, winning matches and winning majors. It's about them being the drivers of the sport. The big four is still alive. There you go. Uh, I guess this does also change things to pivot a little bit to how we talked about this. Uh, last week on the show with Azarenka pulling out and how that affected the women's side of the hardcore season forecast. Federer being out of the Olympics and U.S. Open will have some effect too. And I guess, Courtney, how, how being on the ground at this Premier 5 event you are at in Canada, where pretty much everybody, or most, at least almost all the players there, are probably going to play in the main draw of the Olympics, or the only draw of the Olympics. Um, how, 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 is that, how is that event being on the horizon changing things? And are you sensing that more... Uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Tangibly. Tangibly, exactly. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> you're, you're so much better than Ben Ashish, I have to say, <laughs> as a co-host. Um, yeah, no, it it's so weird. It really hasn't changed. There's very little um, that's palpably felt um, about the Olympics on the horizon. And I've, I've spoken to quite a few of the players. And I think that so much of this has to do with just tennis player mentality that – I mean, Madison Keys, I was talking to her yesterday and, and she's like, I know that the Olympics are 10 days away or whatever they are. She's like, it doesn't even or whatever, 20 days away, whatever the the the, the countdown is at this point. She's like, it doesn't even occur to me. Like, it, it's just it's they're so used to being tunnel vision about the week ahead of them. 
and focusing all of their energies on the week that they're playing, that whatever is happening the following week is like really hard for them to kind of, you know, wrap their minds around. And even I talked to Petkovic, she kind of said the same thing. Obviously, Halep is skipping. But I've asked a, a bunch of players, you know, does the fact that the Olympics are coming up, does that, do you look at this as, as a warm-up tournament for the Olympics? Do you see it as kind of training ground for that? Or, you know, is it still part of the U.S. Open swing? Like, kind of, you know, where's your head at for all of it? And, and yeah, I can't think of a single player that said, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just really thinking about the Olympics right now. Every single one of them has been like, no, this is, I'm focused on this, and I will deal with the Olympics when this is over. That so, seems different, though, than it might. Like, that's not what we really hear, like, say, during Cincinnati about the U.S. Open. Right. Like, I think that maybe, I think there's a sort of a special... Because people are so the Olympics is arrhythmic as an event and it doesn't come that often and it comes kind of a different part of the calendar and on a different continent each time we have it. I just feel like players aren't used to having these Olympic intrusion and just don't entirely know how to process it. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's a big. I think that's a big part of it is that they just, and this has been a common refrain from when I started to ask these questions about the Olympics back in March at Indian Wells and then again in Madrid and Rome when I talked to the the women. Um, and then now is just like their bodies are and their minds are so used to their schedules, which is, a, you know, they know where they're going to be. They know kind of the rhythm of their year, year after year. And the Olympics just throws this curveball that they don't they just don't want to deal with. You know what I mean? Like in terms of their in their heads. They're thinking, okay, I play Montreal, and then I got to play Cincinnati, and then I got to play the U.S. Open, and, you know, and then we have Asia, and it's almost kind of like a, a clock, you know, they, they just know where they're supposed to be. And with the Olympics in there, it creates kind of this artificial, not artificial event, I don't want it to come off like that, but this artificial event that that they're just, they just kind of forget about. It's very easy for them to forget about it because they don't have to think about it every single year. They only think about it once every four years. Well, I think, I think that's really interesting to hear you say that. Um... I kind of got a different sense uh, this past week in D.C. when we were at the City Open. Both Ben and I were there. It might have to do with the fact that I kept asking players about the Olympics. <laughs> and Lindsey Gibbs from Think Progress was also asking a lot of questions about the Olympics. But, I mean, it depends on who you are, right? So so Sam Querrey, for instance, you know, early in the week said that he doesn't even think the Olymp tennis should be an Olympic sport, which is a kind of more extreme position than, than not even sort of being excited in it. And he's skipping. Um, he's one of the skippers. Obviously. Yeah, and he's one of the skippers, obviously. Um, any country other than the U.S., it tends to be a bigger deal. But again, it still depends on who you are. So, you know, Jack Sock seemed a little surprised that Sam had even said that. You know, Brian Baker, obviously, for his own reasons, um, is really excited about getting to play in the Olympics because, I mean, he's just excited he's getting to play at all these days, right? Yeah, and Quarry, and Quarry did say that he was excited for Baker, that he that Baker got to play, which I thought right. was nice. Right, right. Um, and then Monica Puig, for instance, you know, playing for Puerto Rico, you know, she she kept saying that she gets goosebumps even thinking about it. So, I mean, that's just it's just kind of interesting. Some of the other stories that I think are kind of interesting with the Olympics are, um, you know, Australia with the drama around Kyrgios and Tomic, and that's a country in tennis where, you know, players have always been very prideful about playing for their country. Now you've got kind of the opportunity for people like Jordan Thompson and John uh, and John Millman to play. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And Courtney, speaking of that, did you see our old friend Kitty Chiller getting into getting up to trouble this week? 
I saw about and she's like, the. Uh, and she's like flooding the village and doing. Yeah, like exactly. The <laughs> uninhabitable, uninhabitable like, village because accommodations. She's, like, she, she's doing stress tests, but like if I'm the Brazilians, I'm like, like I'm Kitty Chiller, and I walked in and turned on fifty faucets at once to see what would happen. I'm just like, really? <laughs> I mean, be to a be, pal, Kitty. To, to be fair, that's legit. Like, I mean, these. I mean, you and I travel quite a bit at hotels and i know that like in certain co- cities in certain countries like yeah the hotels that i'm staying at probably can't survive a stress test no, <laughs> like but, i so i know. don't give them a stress test so the, i mean yeah but you know that they're going to have to be but yeah kitty schiller chef de mission i don't i still think that that's just a hilarious business card i want one if i were to ever meet her I would just want her business card and just be like, can you sign it? Because I find everything about this ridiculous. Kitty Chiller, Chef de Michelin is like, I don't know, like the 45th James Bond villain or something. Run out of ideas. <laughs> it sounds like that to me. Um, but yeah, so, so they're, yeah, so they're going to go. Um, yeah. I guess, it, yeah, I, I guess... yeah. Just one more point on the, on, on the Olympics, just responding to, to Ashish, because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that so much of it is just it. It just depends on the individual. And I, I have been surprised by some of the players who have you know, been a little bit cold about the Olympics, to be quite honest. I mean, you know, there are definitely those players who are going and they're going to compete. Are they Monica Puig level excited about it? No. You know, I mean, I I think, uh, you know, Dominica Subokova was pretty clear. I mean, I asked her about it in Stanford and her response was kind of like, yeah, yeah, the Olympics. Yeah. And then she went on this whole tangent about how she thinks there should be points and and stuff like that awarded, which I think is also one of the, the big chilling factors this year. It does make this year a little bit different than, than the last couple of Olympics when, when points were awarded. But I think also one of the common uh, refrains that I've heard, I don't know if you guys heard this in D.C., but I definitely heard it a lot, not just in Stanford, but also here and also every single time I've asked these players about the Olympics and their Olympic experience, London was weird. Right. <laughs> No, it was. So they yeah. did, the players didn't necessarily enjoy themselves. They what, didn't. What was weird about it? Because it was at Wimbledon. Everybody thought so theoretically. Far, Olympics, yeah. yeah, everybody thought I don't think theoretically. Andy thought it was weird. I think. Yeah, congratulations, that. he won. <laughs> but like, I mean, you know, it was at Wimbledon. There wasn't anything special about it. If anything, who was it? Redvanska was hilarious about it. She was saying, you know, like you were walking around. The competition is underway. The grounds are completely empty. She was like, it was like walking around on a middle Sunday, and this is a venue that I am used to, speaking as Aga Rydvanska, I am used to seeing jam-packed all the time. There was no energy. Once you played your matches, the stands were full, and that was great, and it was enjoyable. But the whole vibe of playing at Wimbledon three weeks after you had just played at Wimbledon um, was very weird. And I think that there were a lot... Not staying at the village. Not staying at the village, all of these sorts of things. So I think that that maybe not tarnished because everybody had a great time and it was a really well-run Olympics, but it wasn't this, the magical experience. I think a lot of people were expecting at the time. And um, so I think that people do go down to Rio with maybe a little bit more of a sense of caution with respect Mm. to what their expectations may be. Speaking of magical experiences, Ashish, I want to draw on your knowledge Mm. for a bit for the magical endless saga that has been going on for decades. It seems like it has been going on for decades at this point. That is, and it will be a relevant factor in uh, Rio mix and our uh, Rio mixed doubles and men's doubles. I guess in any doubles too is Indian tennis. Yeah. And if you can just sort of give, I know you've been following this on various uh, forums and stuff online as an Indian tennis fan. Give like a Cliff's Notes version of the characters. I guess there's probably four main characters in Indian tennis: um, Sonia Mirza and the three doubles guys Mahesh Bhupati, Xander Pace, and Rohan Bopana. Uh, give it just a Cliff Notes of, of 
those four. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, a, it seems, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a, what movie cast to compare, what movie plot to compare it to. But those four, but all sorts of odd uh, intermixings and where they stand yeah. now. And yeah. The drama. No, I mean, and, so, I mean, Courtney, you said earlier that, you know, it depends on the individual. It depends on the individual and like how much, you know, they care about the Olympics. If you're an Indian tennis player, you know, you're, you're getting front page headlines, especially when you're when some of the drama is kind of stirring up before the Olympics. So 2012, London was 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 the worst of it in a way. Oh, it was epic. I still yeah. remember yeah. all of I that. I mean, yeah. basically, you know, Bhupati and Bopana wanted to play together. They didn't want to play with Leander, but the All India Tennis Association was nominating Leander. And, and then Sanya got basically used as bait. Um, and she wrote an angry letter about it, and basically she played mixed with uh, Leander so that the other two could play doubles together. Um, didn't go very well on the medal front. Um, and Sonia actually recently said, you know, that she didn't think that they fielded the best team. She didn't name any names, but basically I think she was saying that she should have played with Mahesh. And I think she was saying that because this time she was like, I don't want to play with Leander again. I want to play with Rohan. Um, which, I, which I guess it goes to goes to chemistry because I mean Leander yeah. has been on paper and in the trophy case one of the best mixed doubles, doubles yeah. he's been winning so much mixed doubles and it's, it's kind years. of it's kind of funny because he's been a beast in mixed doubles with Martina Hingis and Sonia has been a beast in women's doubles with Martina Hingis but somehow it doesn't doesn't quite translate into Leander and Sonia necessarily wanting to play with each it's other. It's amazing. It's amazing how Switzerland is always the neutral peacemaker in situations. <laughs> yeah, it's it, if Switzerland could make even Martina Hingis the neutral peacemaker in a situation, right. that's pretty impressive that's stuff. Impressive. But I think that the the key takeaway is Martina Hingis so good at doubles. Yeah. But continue. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so this time around, uh, Rohan, he was top ten in men's doubles when the ITF list came out, so he got to you know sort of automatically qualify um and he, strength, he's dropped a lot yeah leander is in the 40s i think um yeah. in in doubles um but basically rohan st- stated publicly through the media that he wanted to play with or well no he didn't no he didn't say who he wanted to play with initially i think but it was clear he said he wanted to play with saket Maineni, who is ranked 100 and something in the world <laughs> in both singles and doubles um which is you know he's our maybe our top ranked singles player right now. I can't keep track because Yuki Bambri keeps slipping down the rankings with the injuries. Um, but, you know, he's not Leander Pace in doubles. Um, but basically the All India Tennis Association stepped in this time and, they, well, they stepped in last time too, I guess. But this time everyone kind of sort of calmed down and, you know, Mahe, uh, sorry, Rohan and Leander have agreed to play with each other. Um, and Rohan will be playing mixed with Sonia. Um, and I think that, you know, some, there's a lot of rumors out there. Some are saying that Rohan just kind of did this so that Leander wouldn't kick up a fuss about the mix this time so that he and Sonia could, so that Rohan and Sonia could play together. I'm not sure, but all I know is Leander is going with Rohan. I would say they have an outside shot at, at a medal. There's going to be a lot of good teams there. I think our best shot is in the mixed doubles with Sonia and Rohan. I know, Ben, you thought, well, you, I, I you just, thought Leander I mean, would be I, I just better. think it's interesting, and we can back a bit yeah. after this, but I just thought it was interesting because Ro- I don't think Rohan has any particular uh, success in mixed doubles in his career. No, I think him and Sonia have played together in, like, Commonwealth Games, Asian Games, okay. that kind of thing. Okay, so um, they have some, if they have some experience, that's good. But I guess just yeah. backing up, just, like, yeah. if you can explain to people, because most people have not thought of this, what is the origin of, like, the drama? Why don't these people like each other? Because they do not seem to like each other whatsoever. Well, the origin of the drama was the breaking up of the Indian Express, Pupati and Pays, who had a great run in the late 90s. I think 99, they made all four Grand Slam finals. And I think they won 
one or two of them. Not sure. My memory is really going with old age. <laughs> but, you know, they were great. And then basically they had some personality issues on and off the court. Um, and they broke up and got back together. They broke up. Um, fast forward, you know, to, you know, five years ago or so. And basically Leander Pays, you know, sort of the leader of the Davis Cup team. But all the other players were kind of, you know, besties with Mahesh. And there was this kind of um, sort of mutiny against Leander at one point. And this all happened pub very publicly. Dirty Laundry was aired. Um, so that's kind of what's behind it all. So Rohan is very much a Mahesh guy. So that's probably why he doesn't really want to play with Leander. Their only prep, by the way, for the Olympics was they played doubles together in the Davis Cup tie a couple weeks ago against Korea, against a, what I think was a pretty depleted Korean team. They won in straights on grass, but I don't know how much prep that's going to be. I would hope they you. would beat a depleted Korean team. But yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Any other doubles drama, I guess, Courtney, you're looking forward to? Or not drama, might not like the word. I guess uh, Federer Hingis is no longer a possibility. Is Wawrinka going to step in then? We'll see. That, I mean, yeah, I guess Bench is sort of on the fence too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I, I think that. That's why it's so tough. Prognosticating well, about Courtney, I also want to ask you because I don't want that whole, you know, I, I hope I didn't bore the listeners to death with that. <laughs> that no, not at all. History, but let's try and get something out of that. I, I do want to know what you think about, say, Sonia and Rohan's chances at winning a mixed doubles medal. I mean, I think mixed doubles, what we have seen over time is that it is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, yeah. it's a very difficult. I mean, we see this obviously at the slams, but in, but at the Olympics as well, in terms of how difficult of a draw um, that is to predict. Because I mean, who would have thought that Andy Murray and Laura Robson would be silver medalists in, in London? I mean, they're both perfectly fine players, but they basically had to go through a draw that had them winning like what was it? Those decisive third set tiebreak thingies, like uh, a bunch. I, I remember it was like the the it was heart stopping trying to follow that team go through the draw. Um, and it's just a handful of points going one way or the other. So, you know, I think that, that without, you know, Hingis and Federer, I think that's pretty significant. It, it looks like, I, I mean, I don't know if Rafa's going to play with Garbina. I would doubt that that would be the case, especially if his, his, uh, his as the Spanish reports um, have been leaking out, that, that he's thinking about with, withdrawing from singles and just focusing on doubles. It would make me think, why would he, well, I don't know, maybe he would also play mix. I don't know. But they have so many players, right? Someone could play with her, right? Yeah, they, they have the right could. ranking. The cut for for mix is so high. Yeah, I'm not sure they have. I, I don't know what Mark Lopez's doubles ranking is at the moment, but like, yeah, it it, it that's the other yeah. thing that makes it tough. I mean, first of all, it's just tough prognosticate. Like like Federer Hingis has been the ultimate tease now for what like five years. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it never the other, happened. And the other thing too is that we do not know what the mixed doubles draw will be until they until get there. They get right? there. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah, you have to sign in once you get on the ground. So. We're speculating about all these teams, but at the last minute, the guys can decide, I just want to play singles. The yeah. girls can decide, I just want to play singles and doubles or whatever, or I don't want to do mix, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like with the mix, it's just a really difficult thing to to kind of predict. That being said, I think that any anytime you are a doubles team that has Sonia Mirza on it, I think you're in a pretty good spot just because of her ability to return and, and the power that she could bring off of the baseline. Um you know that that's something that in mix because she can amplify both of those uh, those qualities at a level that most other women cannot that that play doubles um, that makes any mixed team that has her you know a a, a threat um, you know we're not in the past I think generally you have seen players who are 
led or te- mixed teams that are led by men who are more double specialists be more successful than teams that have like men who are great singles players um be successful i think that that i mean if you like think back to like mirny and and azarenka winning gold there um who won bronze that year was it lisa and lisa mike? and mike yeah or, or bob or, or, yeah one of the bryans <laughs> mike i thought I it, was it was mike, mike yeah yeah lisa and mike let's go mike let's go mike I, I, so i do think that like those hap those slapdash mixed doubles teams of like two great singles players they don't really pan out as well in mixed doubles as one would think yeah. i'd be so. i'd be surprised if Rafa so, was gonna win a medal. like like yeah said, i agree like you said courtney we don't actually know the pairings till they get there right but i had seen a list somewhere and this could be very unverified so please don't quote me on this but <laughs> I, it may have just been on a forum somewhere but is Bob Bryan going to play with Serena? Did you guys hear? No, I don't think that's no, going to happen. I don't think, I don't think that's Serena's happening. Play. Serena's not going to play mixed doubles. No, I don't think Serena's okay. going to play. She, she, I mean, because Serena can win both women's doubles and women's singles. Okay. So I think she's... But there could be some combination of, like, Mahu and Herbert with Garcia and Mladenovic, I think. Sure. I mean, like, anything anything can happen. That's the thing. I mean, and it cut is, the draw is so small. I mean, so the from the Indian is... perspective, we're hoping that none of these pairings happen. <laughs> and that it's we get a buy all the way terrible, to the bronze medal everyone's interest. but yeah no everyone is going to be watching that in india so i'm excited i'll be there from next week so i'll be oh, and awesome. I, I still remember you know i was in india during the 2004 athens games i remember i was up at three in the morning watching leander and mahesh lose a bronze medal match to lubacic and Ancic. that was a real Heartbreaker, and it's it's just funny with all of this. I mean, Leander is about to play his seventh Olympics, I think. What is it? Barcelona, Atlanta, Sydney, Athens, Beijing, London, and Rio. So it's his seventh That's Olympics. That's incredible. And the the funniest thing, the mo- the most ridiculous part of it is that he won his medal in singles. Um, yeah, he won bronze in Atlanta. That's right. Yeah, Ninety six. So, so that's pretty nuts. Uh, trivia question for you, Courtney. Yeah. Uh, I I put this to Ben the other day. Who did Leander Pays beat in the 96 bronze medal match? Clue that won't really help is that Ben said this guy follows him on Twitter. I definitely won't. <laughs> <laughs> I was unaware. I mean, but this, I hope this person's not listening, but I was unaware of him beyond. It, just say it, because she's not going to get this. Fernando Melangeni. Yeah, I was never going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so players of the, of the Leander Pays vintage, in terms of having been around long enough to play in Barcelona... Are getting more and more common and even this week we just saw uh, and the respective runners up in our tournaments washington and stanford were both in their mid late 30s uh, with venus williams at 36 making the final stanford moving to a, a recent high ranking of number six right on the cusp of getting back in top five and even just number six is also incredible at her age and even older than her is uh, Evo Karlovich at 37, who won Newport and then made the final of Washington. And so I talked to Evo, we insert this here, about why it's, why, about what it's like being 37 years old and still being a player on tour when he openly says that players like Sasha Zverev could be, oh, he could be their daddy. And saying it in an Evo Karlovich voice leaves a special sort of taste in one's mouth. I think with, with how much focus there is on your, on your serve and your height and your aces record and everything, people, lose track of how old you are <laughs> i'm serious i mean i don't think i mean because you're doing things people talk about venus williams being so old uh, or you know well, not, not so old she's two she's two years younger yeah, than you yeah, right yeah. so i mean I, what does it feel like to be 37 
and to yeah. still be at a level where you can put together dominant weeks on the tour back to back like this. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, when I had all those injuries in the past, I, I didn't know how long I would be able to do it uh, anymore. And uh, and then all those injuries really helped me realize that I really love what I do. And uh, without it, you know, I don't know what I would do. So, so to be able to be here in my old age, you know, it, it is unbelievable. I just uh, love what I do every day. It's... Uh, it, uh, it is like a bonus, you know, so, so I, I don't uh, uh, take it for granted and uh, I just hope that I will be without injuries uh, in the next two or three years and that I will be able to do it more. And we see this across the, not just you, but obviously there's a lot of players in their 30s now and the top 100 is older than it's ever been. There's more players yeah. over 30 in the Grand Slam draws than ever. All sorts of records like that are getting getting set. I mean, you're one of the oldest. I think you are, with Tommy Haas not playing right now, I think you are like the oldest guy on tour yeah. actively right now. So what what do you think has made this made this possible? Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is because now uh, everybody have their own... Um, um, fitness trainers you know trainers uh, we, and that really helps to have your your career longer because uh, if you look in the 80s nobody really had um, their trainers with them on the tour and yeah. uh, and if you look now everybody have them and that is what is the difference i guess and you i feel like you've gotten just watching you here this past couple of weeks it seems like you've and obviously before that too but you've gotten a lot smarter on court it seems like over the years especially with your game because you have a very unique set of weapons and things you can do and things that are weaknesses do you feel yourself doing that too that you sort of the the more experience you get the older you get you're better at sort of solving the puzzle of of each match yes uh, definitely when I was younger I didn't know what uh, how I should uh, I should be on the court you know I tried to rallies because that's what everybody else do but with my height you know it's uh, it uh, isn't it uh, isn't smart. what yeah, I should yeah, do, you know. Yeah. So now, now I realize what I have to do, and um, you know, it, it, it is easier on my mind, body, and uh, everything like this. I think at first, I think most people first saw you when you beat Leighton Hugh at Wimbledon yeah. in the first round, and that's when he was defending champion and everything. And that's, you know, it's like several generations ago in tennis. Yeah. It, it feels like I, I guess what, what if then you were not that young. I mean, you weren't a teenager when that yeah, happened. You were in your twenties already. Um, what I guess what does it feel like have been the biggest changes for you seeing all these different generations coming through the tour and how, how, much, how much the sport and the, and the culture of the sport has changed over time? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's like with um, every other uh, sport, you know, it um, only gets better, you know, because uh, today kids begin to train hard from when they are younger, you know, than before, and they tra- and they train harder, they train and better so so you know it's um, um, right now there's a lot more better guys than it was uh, back then it yeah, is, yeah. Do, you, do you sense that with how well you're doing still and other players and that there is players are thinking you know why stop we just don't see players retiring as often you know yeah. the top players I guess the last like really high profile retirement for the men's game is probably erotic and that was yeah. like five four or five years ago now so four years ago so I mean, does, does it seem like players just have? If you're if you're healthy and you're yeah. enjoying it, you can yeah. go on as long as as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, of course, if you are healthy and if your um, ranking is up, there is no reason why you should quit. You know, 
unless you don't like it anymore or unless you have a, a, a something else in your life that you that you would rather do but um, again I just love what I do and uh, if I if I if I could I would do it you know for the next 10 years what is it so there's another player in the semi or according after you won your semi so Alexander Zverev is in the other semifinal. He's 19. Yeah. I think. I think you could. I think you said you could be his, his daddy earlier in the week. I mean, what is it? What is it like playing, like having people around who are, you know, half your age sometimes? And it's. Uh, is it. Is it. Do you get along well with those guys? Is it easier? Is there a generational gap that you don't always no. understand the kids today or what people say? No, no. I know him really good from last year. You know, and uh, he is really nice kid. And uh, yeah. and I wish him all the best uh, I believe he'll be top uh, five soon uh, I just hope that if he wins today he, he will not be as good tomorrow <laughs> right no of course I, but I guess do, do you feel does it feel natural that you're that you're still competing at this or are you are you or are you surprised that you're still here Cause, I mean I guess I'm guessing when you turned yeah. 30 yeah. you didn't think you'd still be yeah. in the sport for another yeah. seven years and yeah. counting because yeah. you don't seem to have any reason to stop right now with this winning streak you're on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this uh, it is uh, strange, but uh, I didn't uh, begin early. You know, I reached top hundred when I was when I was 24, so I don't yeah. uh, don't um, feel as I'm all, already used up. You know, I I feel there is energy in me, and I love what I do. So yeah. you're in a different position because you have kids. No, kid. So, kid, kid, one kid, one kid. Yeah. Um, but, but you, I guess, do you feel like it's an advantage that you can have this, I guess, compared I guess, with female players, it's hard, a lot harder, but yeah. you can have a family and keep playing and go back to Miami when possible and, and balance that and you can sort of have both? Or, or is that tough? Is that something that might make you want to stop at some point? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, um, it is both, you know. I mean, on uh, one hand, you know, I, I'm uh, happy that they are... Uh, they're always there you know if I don't do good on the court you know I can all you know I will uh, have them which is um, you know like bigger than uh, this game you know this is yeah. only a game but then on the other s- other hand you know when I'm home and then when I have to leave and my daughter is asking me why you go don't go then it's really difficult you know but then I have to exp- 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 explain, explain yeah. her that uh, I'm, that I'm doing this because of her I'm going to earn money so that she can have her toys you know yeah no that's that's the last yeah. thing I guess I mean that's yeah. one of the things that I think players might be keeping players in the game longer just honestly it's the prize money is going up in the sport yeah. and I mean most tennis players at least immediately probably aren't going to find a job that pays more than more than this yeah. right away and yeah, so, I mean, so why not keep doing it? Yeah, and save yeah. up for the rest of your life. Yes, yeah. of course. And this is what I was doing all my life. Uh, now, if I would have to do uh, something else, you know, and go from the beginning again, you know, it's uh, difficult. So, I'm just gonna try to do this as uh, long as I can. Your rap career is waiting now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was over a decade ago. <laughs> Thanks, I guess Courtney. Yeah, you've been around. We've been around this. It's been a storyline for a while. But do you? What do you, do you think overall? This graying of the tour is a positive development or negative? I think it's nothing but positive. I think at the end of the day, what is so difficult within tennis and within tennis fandom, and as someone who writes about the sport and tries to get people to to be excited about the sport, is that you know the the, the shorter that a top 
level personality or any player exists on the tour, um, that is a detriment. You know, you because you as a fan or you as a writer or whatever, you're investing so much energy in getting to know this player, following them, uh, get watching their results, et cetera, et cetera. And so if they quit at like 29 years old, you know, you lose out on that investment. It's over. Now you got to go find somebody else. So if these players yeah. can continue to play up into their mid-30s, that's nothing but but good stuff for, for the sport. I think that the longer you can have, especially if you look at a, a situation like Venus, obviously Roger, uh, Serena as well, these players who are great champions, who are names that are transcend uh, just tennis – um, if you can have them playing forever, I think that you absolutely sign that contract and you let them play forever and you, you beg for them to play forever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great from that perspective. It's got to be frustrating for the young guys, though, right? And the young girls and guys. Um, I mean, Muguruza just broke through, so that's 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 an exception, I guess. But, I mean, on the men's side, you know, we don't have anyone yet from the 90s, who was born in the 90s, I mean, to win a Grand Slam. That means, I mean, Milos Raonic just made the, he was the first one born in the 90s to even make a Grand Slam final. Whereas, you know, you go back 10, 20 years, people were winning them when they were 18, 19, 20. Um, so I just wonder how it sort of sort of but, sits with, yeah, with those I mean, younger I, players. Yeah, I, I have a response to that. I mean, I, I think that, again, you relying on those stats, like the, the 1990s stats and, oh, you know, Petra yeah. and Garbina are the only one in the 90s to win majors on the women's side, et cetera, et cetera. We're living in unprecedented tennis times. The The players that are being the gatekeepers here are not, you know, run-of-the-mill champions who we're going to argue in 10 years about whether or not they should make the Hall of Fame or not. These are all-time greats, whether you're talking about Serena, whether you're talking about, you know, the, the four on the men's side. Um, yes, I'm throwing Andy Murray in there. I don't want to hear it from people. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, in terms of the people who are being the gatekeepers, they're not, you know, passive throwaways. And so, yeah, is it frustrating to be a young player right now who's trying to break through? Sure. But at the same time, what these players are showing is that that's okay because you, your career is going to last five years longer than maybe you thought it was going to last. So if you're, if you have to delay your success by five years, because these guys are continuing to play into their mid thirties. It doesn't net, there's no net loss, arguably to me, with respect to your careers. And I I am one that has never really loved the whole like, oh, teenage phenom slam winner thing. I never really liked that in tennis. I never have. Um, but I know that I am in the minority on that. Well, I think that I think that youth just was something that was fetishized for a while in tennis and just sort of and marketing wise, obviously, still happens. I mean, I, I think it was just in tennis. Know, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, every, everywhere, fine in society, in the world. But I think it, I think it might have been something I want, I want to say it was Brett Haber who said it on Tennis Channel. I heard it briefly watching some of the coverage of the first, I think, the Karlovich semifinal where he won against Steve Johnson. He was saying that, like, Karlovich has a hard time getting like a clothing contract even though he's like winning tournaments and like going deep and like being a reliable player on TV all the time, whereas they're happy to throw $2 million at some like untested junior yeah. because they just want to invest in the future. And actually that's like not the right move to make in terms of actually getting your brand out there these days. So I don't know if the market's caught up and I'm not sure on all the players think it's, I think the younger ones now, the current juniors now are talking about long careers, but I remember even she was on, I guess on the later end of, well, not that long ago when, when Yulia Putinseva was in her in her teens, and she was first coming up on tour, um, making quite a noise. Uh, she was um, 
she was saying that, you know, she compared herself results wise, what she's doing in 16 and 17 against like what Hengis and Sharapova were doing that age. Yeah. And they were like winning slams and, you know, going deep and, and being relevant players. And she found that uh, discouraging and eventually had to learn to, to recalibrate that somewhat. And, and so, yeah, there has yeah. been, it has yeah, been a shift everybody's... that there was never like, there was never a sign that came on. There was never, no one blew a whistle and said, you know, it is now adult swim in tennis. It just sort of happened gradually. And I think some of the kids, it might've taken them some time to adjust mentally to, to this. Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering about. Cause it's just, you know, I'm not saying, you know, one way or the other, whether I don't even know if I liked the fact that, you know, you were talking about Courtney, that you didn't necessarily like the whole teen phenom thing. I don't know whether I liked it or disliked it. It's just that it's, you know, it's it's taking some time to get used to that that's no longer the trend. Um, and also, you know, I think it takes people then some time to, you know, get used to not necessarily judging players too early in their career. Yeah. You know, when when Milos when Milos Raonic, if if and when he finally wins a major, what age will he be? You know, and if you go back. 10 years ago, you would have been like, oh, this person's a has-been already, you know. Yeah. Um, it's the same for Dimitrov and, you know, Kyrgios if he gets his act together, you know. It's I, the same for Vavrinka. Yeah, know? nobody had like a Vavrinka-type career arc 10 years ago. Yeah. Where you were just But that's why I feel like it's seen... I feel like Vavrinka is seen right now as an anomaly, but maybe, like you're saying, maybe that will be the mold for a new yeah. sort of... I mean, I, to me, I think that the, the focus on on teenager results, youth, uh, the obsession within tennis with age, with respect to, to youth. I think part of it is also just kind of a self-fulfilling thing when you have former players, former, you know, like like tennis has an amazing ability to keep uh, its, its people kind of employed. And so when you have, you know, the people who grew up or played or had success in an era where tennis youth was fetishized, and where it was more the Capriottis, the Hinguses, that was more normal. Leighton, that was normal. And so for them, now they're in commentary positions, they're in media positions, and they still push that narrative so that if somebody isn't doing something by 22 years old, everybody starts throwing up red flags. And I guess for me, I don't know, I, I just don't see that at all. I think that every player has their own time. And I think that the sport in and of itself, especially on the men's side, it's definitely obviously happened for the women, but I think it happened maybe earlier for the women in terms of the, the transformation into a sport where, I'm sorry, but a teenager's body cannot compete on, on the WTA tour on a regular, on a regular basis. It's, it's not feasible. And I think that with the men, you see that as well, you know, now more mm -hmm. so. I mean, what Novak and Andy and a healthy Roger and a healthy Rafa were able to do on a court, these kids can't do that, you know, week in and week out. And, and then thereby, thereby, you know, we're not talking about winning slams and winning masters, but, but getting the results they need to be in the top 10 to qualify for London, all these sorts of things. They don't do it. They check in and they check out. They, they, they go win a tournament and the yeah. next four tournaments, they just kind of were like, ugh. You know, it, it just takes a ridiculous level of fitness. And so the, the game has morphed into being this new type of modern game. I think, though, sometimes that the discussion surrounding the game, though, is still driven by people who are focused on the way the game used to be as opposed to the way the game yeah. is now. And I think that that colors how we think about it and how we talk about it. And I think that's problematic on the on a whole. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, in D.C., you know, I asked this question to Borna Korich, um, and his answer was kind of interesting. You could kind of see, you know, that he 
you know, he's had to kind of recalibrate things. And he actually said something I thought was really interesting that, you know, he feels that he's a better player now when he's 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 dropped a bit in the rankings. He's around 50. He actually feels he's a better player now than when he was ranked 30 in the world or 35 a year ago. So, you know, the metrics that you measure, you know, success with, like you're saying, maybe need to be a little different. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting on the flip side, you know, um, what this means for older players who haven't necessarily won a slam yet, who we thought maybe 10 years ago were going to be dominators. You know, someone like Gael Monfils, who has had a great week in D.C., by the way. I've never seen him play that well. I mean, granted, I've never seen him play five matches in a week before. <laughs> I mean, it's me a rare sight. No, it's there. a rare sight. Well, yeah, yeah. But no, also me personally, I've never watched him that closely as I did this week. Um, and, you know, speaking to him about it as well, um, you know, may have gotten a little lost in translation, but I mean, he kind of almost gave a guarantee that he was going to win a Grand Slam. But he I did. Think, no, he definitely did. Yeah, I mean, because I asked him about it and I said, you know, you feel like you've got more time, you know, because you're, you're 29 now. Normally this would be 30, sort of, yeah. yeah, now this would be sort of wrapping up the career. But, you know, you look at Federer still playing at 35. This is before he pulled out of everything. Um, but you look at that. I mean, you still have more time, right? And he's like, he, he kind of went through, you know, his biggest chances and said, you know, I was almost there in this chance and I was almost there there. But I still believe that I can do it and then he said and I will do it so th there you have it Gail Monfils has guaranteed that he'll win a slam I don't know if that will happen it would be nice if it did but the point is you know for someone like him or Songa or anyone in that sort of even Burditch you know they've been around for a while and you kind of think okay you know they're not going to break through but you, ne you never know a la Varinka yeah I could. mean I think that some of it as well I mean the flip side of I think my whole rant about, you know, everybody needs to recalibrate their expectations. The flip side of it, and I do see this and I get very annoyed by this, is uh, that when, especially the younger generation, re does recalibrate its expectations, then the needle almost swings the other way to the extreme where they're kind of like, oh, I'm never going to win anything so long as those four guys are playing. So I'm just going to tread water and do my thing yeah. until those guys are gone and then I'll make my move. Um, I understand it's a very human, very rational, to be quite frank, uh, way to think about it. It can be disappointing, though, of course, obviously, because if you are a young player like a Dominic team, a Nick Kyrgios, a, a Zverev, Chorich, all those guys, this is your time to build your brand, quote unquote. This is your time to get all of your, your game shored up, not unlike a, a, what Raonich has done, because I don't think Raonich ever took his foot off the gas pedal. Raonic has has always kind of believed that he was there and he deserves it and he wants it. And I give him tons of credit for that. And so it's not surprising to me that he's the one that breaks through as, you know, that generation next to make a Grand Slam final. Now, all that said, I think that, um, you know, with the Monfises, the things that he's saying, maybe even with, you know, the way that these young kids are moving up, uh, Raonic, you know, backing his talent, skipping the Olympics in order to basically make a run at the U.S. Open. I think that what Wimbledon kind of reminded everyone is that the draw still can break open. And the weird thing is that nowadays, the draw, it's easier to break the draw, quote unquote easier, to break the draw now than it was four years ago. Because four years ago, when all of the, all of the big four were like kind of in their prime and kind of in contention, and we would write them into the semis, et cetera, et cetera one upset didn't break the draw. But now, yeah. one upset, meaning a query over Novak, did absolutely break that Wimbledon draw. And we can, I mean, obviously Andy took care of business, et cetera, et cetera, but that draw was broken. And anybody no, would have taken yeah. advantage. And so I think that if I'm a player now and I see that, 
I kind of kick my own butt and I'm like, okay, stop freaking treading water and start swimming to shore. Like, this is a huge opportunity right now. Um, And because the big four is relatively depleted. And if, if I have to play against somebody in a Grand Slam final for my first Grand Slam final, I'll take Andy Murray. Sorry, Andy. But I will. You know what I mean? Like, if, no, let's it, be honest. It totally goes back full circle you, you, to what I was saying. You showed him some credit. You gave him some credit, and now you threw. That's him pretty much shit. my whole relationship, relationship with Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning about you know, is the Big Four dead? And I think this goes to I remember alluded to it on during Wimbledon for sure. But what we on NCR used to call the the Ronich rule. Yeah. Is that the the bar for winning what it takes to win a Grand Slam will go down. And so guys like Ronich will be able to win, you know, Grand Slams. And he is improving, obviously, but he um, the, just the level have to clear will we'll go down. The obstacles will get smaller. Uh, the number of obstacles will get smaller. If there's only one guy you have to play, he only have to play one big four guy to win a slam, which would have been pretty remarkable, which was remarkable um, and definitely wouldn't have happened in like a Robin Soderling era when Robin was trying to break it down and had to beat, you know, two or three of them. On the way, uh, yeah, it's our, you know, and Burdich played two of them at Wimbledon 2010 and then lost the third one at all in the final. Uh, yeah, so, so it's uh, definitely a, a changed world and something that we'll have to have to get used to. And I guess we can probably wrap up there. Um, so thank you guys very much for listening to this show. And thank you, Ashish, obviously, for joining us for this show. It's been a treat. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash NCR podcast. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Uh, our individual Twitters are at Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is at 40 Juice Twits. And the sheesh you are? At A Malhotra 2. There you go. Uh, if you want to have a question for an upcoming episode, send them to us at no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes or any other app of your podcasting choice. Uh, fun programming note we are probably with this episode going to at least by one counter. And the, the, hits and everything of podcasts are confusing the metrics are not always great but we're going to cross 1 million downloads of ncr that's insane this week so that's pretty good on just and that's just since we switched to podbeam which i think was in 20 beginning of 2013 so we theoretically had done it before and all of our numbers have asterisks on them for ncr including this is like almost our 200th episode but it's 162 whatever um yeah so thank you guys for listening to us a million times that's it's absurd. So I can I can put on my resume that I took you guys over the one Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely you can. That was clearly the, the game changer. Exactly. You're a smart dude, Ashish. You're a smart dude. <laughs> so thank you to Ashish and all our other Kickstarter backers uh, for helping us sustain this over a million hits, which includes our executive producers, Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Uh, Ashish, do you have? Do you want to rant, Ray? Do you have anything? Just hmm. I know you had probably didn't plan for this. I should have told no, this earlier. I didn't earlier, plan for this at all. But just I mean, I feel like we just it, did for the past hour. But you, yeah, <laughs> you, can make it, you can make it brief. Just anything that you're going to. Uh, I know you're moving to India. Yeah. So anything you're going to miss about DC, in particular? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was telling you before. I never. I grew up mainly in New York City, so DC has never been quite big enough for me. But now I'm finding that I'm going to miss this place. Um, it's wow. nice I was able to get one lost city open in. Um, and just one little thing that I can like do a quick little rant on is, uh, Courtney, you mentioned earlier, and I've heard other people say this, it's true, Raonich is the first male from born in the 90s to make the make a Grand Slam final, but he's not the first generation next. We have we keep forgetting about poor Kei Nishikori. He made a Grand Slam final. 
Is he is he a kid of the nineties? I thought he was eighty nine for so some I looked reason. it up. Yeah, but no, he's not a kid of the nineties, but he's still Gen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, of yeah. course. I That's trust me. I never forget about Kaney Shikori. Love the guy. He's gonna win slams. It's just gonna I take some so. time. Yep. I'll take the under on plural there, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> how dare you? Courtney, what are your, if that's your rant, just saying, how dare you? <laughs> oh, I have so many thoughts. Most of them I just let Twitter handle. Um, so I'm not going to talk. Well, you know what? First of all, Rave, first female presidential nominee, regardless of politics, let's just like stop and like be pretty, that's pretty freaking cool. Uh, so that's, yeah, I'm pretty psyched about that. But um, less political. Um, my uh, Rave well, okay, it's a combination rave rant. First of all, I don't understand why books are so freaking expensive at airports. I'm sorry. That <laughs> is freaking blackmail because you know, you know that I need a freaking book. And so you charge me $27, really? But anyways, this one was actually worth it. So I'm going to rave about it. Um, I'm in the middle of, and I have not finished yet, The Girls by Emma Klein, um, which is so far absolutely wonderful. And it's um, basically, it takes place in Northern California in the 1960s. Well, not in Northern California, but partially in Northern California in the 1960s. And it's basically a story of a young girl who is kind of disaffected and insecure as all teenage girls are, young teenage girls are, doesn't really know what she wants, et cetera, et cetera, and basically gets swept up into what is effectively um, Charles Manson's cult uh, and group and what happens after that. And um, it's really, it's really great. And um, I really wasn't sure if I'd I'd like it, but I needed something to read on my flight over here to Montreal. And I've actually been staying up pretty late to, to, to read it. It's really well written, beautifully, beautifully. So, so if anybody needs it, needs a good read, uh, pick up the girls by Emma Klein. Do not pick it up at an airport. You can get it for far cheaper elsewhere. Twenty-seven bucks, bro. That is just was it brutal. was it Canadian or American? No, twenty-seven bucks U.S. I bought it in uh, uh, San Francisco. New- no, I bought it in Newark. Actually, oh. I had a layover oh. in Newark before um, getting here. So yeah, there it is. There you go. Okay, uh, my my uh, rave will be about something I'm sure you've heard a lot about in if you've listened to any sort of news or like pop culture like news trying to talk about pop culture which is pokemon go okay oh jesus which which, no but see what i like i never played any of the previous pokemon so i'm not like super like i don't have the same i was aware of pokemon i had a lot of friends who played pokemon because i'm probably on the older end of people to have friends who play pokemon but what i like about it is that it and and i think this is a remarkable thing about it and hopefully it becomes a trend yes exactly Uh. is that it makes people get outside like in order to like unlock the eggs you get you have to walk a certain number of kilometers and so like kids are now like there's like a joke i saw on twitter that's like in the 90s people used to say like you know like stop playing pokemon and go outside and now people say like stop playing pokemon and come inside because like it's getting kids like off the couch and it's this great way to mix things and the way it works in at least dc and i think with most places where they have the sort of the monuments marked, or not monuments, but pokey stops, which are like little landmark things. It highlights all these small little things in DC that like I wouldn't ever notice otherwise. Because I guess people, there was some previous game that had all these landmarks already booked into it. They just took over for Pokemon. Or they, they took them and bought the rights to this, these maps. But it'll be something like, you know, Fountain of fountain with Dog outside coffee shop will be like the thing. And I'll like, I never would have noticed that Fountain of a Dog before. And now with Pokemon, I'm seeing the world in a whole new different way. 
and getting exercise. Oh, it's just it's just tremendous. I'm not I'm not on I'm not on board yet. Why? I mean, it just seems ridiculous to me. Have you played my, it? No, but my oh, go, my go, no my girlfriend is playing it all the time. It uh-huh. took us like thirty minutes to walk what should have been ten minutes the other day because <laughs> she kept jumping around going to Pokestops. But the other day, um, she had been inside all day and she was a little you know I think restless. So I offered. I was like, do you want to go on a pokey pokey walk or whatever? And we went at like midnight on a pokey walk. That just sounds romantic. Yeah, that's true love. Pokey yeah. walk. Yeah. Well, there you go. There, but there, but there are haters. I mean, not that I understand. If you're, I'm still you're, a hater. Yeah. It's affecting your personal life. But I've seen all these like, like you know, scare tactic news reports like about some girl. There was some girl like in some Midwestern state, once like Oklahoma, who they were like, girl finds a body playing Pokemon. It's like okay. No, and didn't they? She, didn't she someone did, cause like a she, car accident or something? Well, yeah, people playing while driving. That's a real issue. Yeah. But like this girl was just like wandering around a park, happened to find a body. Which would have, could have happened anytime. They blame Pokemon for it. It's like this is part of the Pokemon epidemic. People are finding bodies. It's like, no, she did not. Kill, Pokemon did not kill this person. You were conflating these two things. Stop it. I mean, I play I play video games, so I'm not going to rip on anybody playing video games. And I agree with you 100 percent that it's great to like get people out. My only thing that I have an issue with, with respect to the whole Pokemon everything, I don't find these little things cute. Only some of them. Are cute. Like I don't actually, I don't actually want to find them. <laughs> like I'm like, ew, gross. I don't. I just I'm like, what is that? It's like this weird, like, like embryonic dinosaur thing that like just like has. I don't know. Like I just don't think they're cute. If they were cuter, like if it was like let's collect corgis, I think I'd like it. But it, it that is not what it is, and that kind of bugs me. There are definitely some cute and not cute ones. Where I live, I live right on top of Pokestock, which is a real treat because it means that I can reload my things anytime without leaving uh, the apartment. Uh, but there, and I live all like always surrounding my place are these are these ugly bats called Zubats, which are just terrible. So I agree. Yeah, if they were cuter, see, I'd be happy with that. But they're it's good. Yeah. To, it's good. You can't you can't have everything be nice. You have to have some ugly ones to appreciate the the cuter ones. I disagree. It's a video I'm, game. The whole point of escapism. I don't want to go. I don't just like in the same way that I don't play video games that involve like killing monsters. Really, like I don't like zombie type video games, which is a whole genre of video game that currently exists that I hate. Like and aliens. I hate alien games. Like I just want to shoot real people. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. Like it's not. I don't know. Like I'm like ew, gross. No, I don't want to play this anymore. <laughs> well, I was told that there are a lot of uh, Pokemon on the way to my house. Um, same way for you, Ben. Yes, there are. So I'm, I, I'm I, know, I know what you're saying. But I'm wondering if, uh, like, that's why the rent went up. Very possible. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I Very think possible. that that might be the. That's what I'm more interested in. Is are the the um, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I helped you before. Give me a word. Uh, the price, the real estate. No, the amount of uh, Pokemon. I was looking for something that starts. Oh, with the popularity. The, the density of Pokemon yeah, population. Po- Pokemon, yeah, there you go. Po- Pokemon density is that going to correlate to rent? Well, I think and also, also I wonder. Probably be a non-story by September. Probably, but I think it might be interesting to investigate. You know, what areas have more Pokemon? I bet you're not finding Pokemon in like northeast. I've heard that. I've heard that the sculpture. Sorry, we're getting garden, really I've heard, DC sculpt- I've heard the sculpture garden. Down on the mall has like the best Pokemon. I haven't been there yet on Pokemon exhibition, but I definitely am not really out planning to do that. I'm saying I bet there's way more Pokemon in Georgetown than like. Shaw. I don't know. I'm wherever I don't know where they put these Pokestops. There could be Pokestops anywhere. There That's... are some. There are some in Shaw. I've, I've been to Shaw. There's Pokestops in Shaw. I'm gonna go invest. Like if you went to like Yosemite or Yellowstone, would there be Pokemon? It would all depend. Stops? It would all depend on if people because there was this previous game that was more like geography, like. I don't know. I forget. I don't. I don't know anything about this game. But there was these pre-existing stops. So if like, yeah, there there are a bunch of them in DC. They're just like, here's a plaque that says like 
this was where the Freemasons first met and whatever. And that would be like the stop. So I think like a, a national park could potentially, well, not density because it's so spread out in a national park, but could have a lot of little monuments and signs and trails and things that could lead to a pretty good Pokemon terrain. But generally, like generally, it, generally going to do better in urban areas. I feel like in the suburbs, people who live out like in the middle of nowhere are not going to have as yeah. easy a time playing at all. You know what they should? You know what? I, you know what I'm going to ask my cousins who are app developers to develop, like a real life where in the world is Carmen San Diego, for those great. of us who are like world travelers. That would be that'd great. Be like you know what I mean? Like and yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I don't even know how what it would be yeah. like, but that's what that's what is coming to mind as you describe. The Pokemon Go. I regret it not having started Wimbledon because I hear there are like different European Pokemon of some level, or like there are ones that are more common, definitely more common in North America. And I hear there are ones that are more common, like when I'm where I'm getting overwhelmed with bats and rats and and gross stuff like that. Like people apparently <laughs> in California or on the West Coast have different most common Pokemon. Okay, now this is just getting ridiculous. Again. It was ridiculous a while ago. <laughs> so maybe we should. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Go catch them all. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye. I can feel everything that you bring. Let's take a long walk around the park. After dark, find a spot, us to spark. Conversation, verbal elation, simulation. Share our situation, temptation, education, relaxation, elevation.